0: Very good. Awesome. Great to uh, be with you here tonight. Uh, It's awesome uh, to have you along. If this is your first time, it's great to um, have you here at at Bridgman. We'd love to connect with you afterwards. So please make yourself known um, as well. Over these last few weeks, we've been in a bit of a mini-series looking at a bunch of reasons the Bible gives us for why Jesus came that very first Christmas. Christmas. Uh, what was his mission? Why did he have to come to earth? What, what was the point of Jesus coming? And uh, we see in Scripture uh, a, a heap of things. We see in um, 1 Timothy 1.15 that he came to save sinners is one of the reasons. In Luke 4.18, he came to bring good news to the poor. He came to fulfill the law as, as seen in Matthew 5.17. And then he came to do the Father's will in John six. 38. And uh, so tonight, to close this very short, brief uh, series, we come to the central mission, the central purpose of Jesus coming to earth. And that is that Jesus came to give glory to God, the Father. Jesus came to give glory to God. It's from this purpose that all other things that Jesus did um, are drawn out of and go back into it's all to give glory to God. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we see this really incredible introduction of Jesus, which is unlike that of any of the other Gospels. And so we're going to read from, from John 1. And it starts by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wrap your head around that. This one was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of humanity and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. We skip to verse 14 and it says, and the word became flesh and took up residence among us. And this is the key part. And we saw his glory Glory as of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Incredible introduction to Jesus, who Jesus is. A lot of mind-boggling things in that introduction. The Word, who exists from before the beginning of time, being both distinct from God, yet also, in essence, God, who made all things, became one thing himself, One real, historical, perishable human being. And so what was the result? What was the purpose of this enfleshment, if you like? Well, the last part of the passage tells us we saw his glory. Glory as of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was sent to glorify God the Father. Now, I understand that, that is a, uh, that's a very churchy word, glory, glorify. It's a very churchy thing, right? You know, um, give God the glory and glory be to God are all things that uh, we, we say in church and in, in Christian circles. And it's used a lot to express our worship and gratitude towards God. But what, but what does that actually mean? Jesus came to glorify God. If he is God, why is he coming to glorify himself essentially? If God sent Jesus to glorify himself, what does this make of your image of God in your in your mind? Is he this egotistical, narcissistic kind of ruler who, who demands compliments? Your, your mind probably goes to this definition of glorifying. Um, When we think of glorifying something, we probably think of elevating that thing to a higher status or to see it or describe it as something that is admirable. So we hold something up to be admired. It gets elevated. To glorify something is to elevate it to an extremely high level, uh, for better or for worse. The FIFA Soccer World Cup, I don't know if anyone's been following the, the World Cup recently, um, but the, the final is tonight at 1am, if you, if you feel like getting up at 1am. Um, and every time I've watched a game in the tournament, um, I've, I've enjoyed the gameplay, of course, I've enjoyed the sport. But I've also loved watching the, the, the fans of, of both sides really getting into um, the game. You know, the level of passion and devotion that the fans have for their, uh, for their country, for their soccer team. You see the costumes, the paint. Then you see if their team's losing the tears that wash the paint away um, from their face or the the joy um, when their team has won. There's no doubt that these people, these fans, they glorify uh, their country or at least they glorify their country's ability to play soccer or football, depending on where you're from. And they would probably happily admit this. This is probably something that they happily glorify in their lives. Um, but another definition that I just want to uh, point out that you might be thinking of is glorify can also be used in, in, with a negative connotation, meaning that it, it, it's used to express an unhealthy elevation of something. So something that is elevated when it, it really shouldn't be. You know, like an example being the glorification of crime in TV shows or movies, something like that. That might be part of your definition. But I want to to offer you a different um, definition here tonight, and that is of the Bible. When the Bible speaks of glory, it's describing a multitude of things. The Hebrew word for glory in the Old Testament has a really simple meaning, and it it stands to mean heaviness or weight. And it's used in everyday speech to express the, the worth of a person in the material sense, and then to go on to express the ideas of importance, of greatness, of honor, splendor, power, and so on. When it comes to God, glory refers to all of these qualities in the highest sense. But specifically, it's used to refer to the brightness of God's own person and presence. One commentator, Edward Klink, says this, glory is... The manifestation of God's being, nature, and presence in a manner accessible to human experience. Glory is the manifestation of God Himself, His being, His nature, and His presence in a way that we can discern Him. And so there's times all through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament where where part, a different facet of God's glory is represented. And there's times when his glory is indicative of his brightness and his splendor. There's times where his glory means his power and his strength. There's times when it means his majesty and his honor. Let me just re- I'll just give you a few examples. Exodus 24, 16 to 17 says this. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud... To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Deuteronomy 5.24 says, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Coming now to the New Testament in Luke 2.9, An angel of the Lord appears to a bunch of shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The glory of God is how He manifests Himself in a way that we can perceive Him through our eyes, our ears, through touch, through smell. And we can see in these verses preceding Jesus coming to earth, God's glory appeared as a consuming fire at times, it it appeared as a bright, shining light. This The vastness of God, this is, this is how it appeared to human senses. And of course, they, they had no parameters to describe what they were seeing. So, of course, what they were seeing was this fire or brightness. This is how God's vastness is seen preceding Jesus. In Isaiah 44, 6, God says, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come. This is the vastness of God that Scripture is describing. This is how big God is. This is how magnificent he is, how uh, righteous he is. In Psalm 8.3-4, it says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for him. Do you see the immenseness of God? God is immense. He is immensely powerful and almighty and righteous. And so it's no wonder that, that when God's glory, His being, His presence is manifested into the world, it is like nothing else seen before by human eyes the shepherds tremble because they, they've, they aren't even really sure what they're witnessing. They have no way to describe what they're seeing other than they know it's something far bigger and greater than themselves. But it's now with the entry of Jesus into earth, into time and, and space, that God's glory is revealed in a way never seen before and never seen again. This is what one commentator says, the word, became, the word becoming flesh is the decisive event in human history, indeed in the history of creation. Because the incarnation, that is, that is Jesus coming to earth, changes God's relationship to humanity and humanity's relationship to God. The incarnation means that human beings can see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. Jesus comes as the ultimate manifestation of God with the express purpose of glorifying him. In other words, with the purpose of making the Father's being known. With the purpose of making the Father's goodness and lovingness and kindness and faithfulness known to all. Some of us I know might draw back a bit when we when we hear that God uh, sends Jesus to glorify Himself, we might we might think, does God really delight in in making um, people compliment Him so much so that He would send Himself to compliment Himself? Is this is this really what God cares about? This is a tension a lot of people struggle with. Here's a few quotes from um, a few uh, prominent people. Friedrich Nietzsche famously said, "I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time." C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, complained that God's demand to be praised sounds like a vain person who wants compliments. Eric Rees, the writer of An American Gospel, rejected the Jesus of the Gospels because he said only an egomaniac would demand that we love him more than we love our parents and children. And Michael Prouse, the columnist for the London Financial Times, turns away from Christianity because he says, only tyrants puffed up with pride crave adulation. Are these some thoughts that maybe you've had at, at some point, or maybe are in the back of your mind as you navigate what this really means for Jesus to come and glorify God? When God seeks to glorify himself, do, when he seeks to make himself known, do we see him as this narcissist, as this self-absorbed ruler, if you, if you were at the lights um, this past week and you saw the Bethlehem uh, nativity presentation, do you picture God like King Herod being carried out by the slaves as he lounges in the chair? Is that how you picture God in your mind? It's not the best analogy that I that I have, but if you've ever um, participated in a running event before or, or a, an organized running event, um, or if you've seen it on TV or something, you'll know that there's set up hydration stations as you uh, go through the race. And uh, these hydration stations are really just tables with a, a, a million cups of water on them and um, cups of hydrolyte for, for whatever that means, whatever, um, if people are into that, I guess that's good. But generally, the idea of the hydration station is that it's cups of water everywhere and people just screaming at you to take a cup of water. That's the hydration, well, that's my experience of hydration stations anyway in runs. People, um, I've I've participated in two organized runs in my life, and what i found is that the the people who man those stations, they don't simply offer you a cup of water as you go past. They compel you to take a cup of water. They encourage you. They they yell at you. They make themselves known for you to take this cup of water. They hold it right out in front of you. Um, They're screaming. It's this really stressful event. It gets the adrenaline going, which is good, I guess. But some get really aggressive about it, you know, they really want you to take their cup of water and they make it a bit of a challenge, I guess, for themselves. But the underlying reason they want you to take this water is because they know that you need it. When you're running, they know that this water is is going to hydrate you, it's going to help you, um, you need it, and so they know the value. Of water to the runner in the moment. So they do everything they can to make sure that you, uh, you know, you're able to take that cup of water while you're running. Um, this is where the analogy falls a little bit short because God, in a similar way, God is not um, offering us something external to himself like a cup of water He does not offer purpose and joy and peace and salvation as if it were things independent of him. He offers himself to us. In glorifying himself, in making himself known, he reveals to us our truest and deepest need, which is him. Just as we've been designed to run on him we've been created to rely on him, to have him at the the center of our lives. Our best course in life is with him at our center. In offering himself to us, God offers what we need the most in this life. God does not praise himself. He does not glorify himself for his own pride. Or a sense of purpose, as a narcissist would. He lacks nothing. He has infinite majesty and power without our actual existence. He is the Alpha and Omega, whether we recognize that or not. But if he is the source of all things, if he is the living water that we were designed to thirst for, then it is for our good that we know and love him. C.S. Lewis writes this, God is goodness. He can give good but cannot need or get it. In that sense, all his love is, as it were, bottomlessly selfless by very definition. It has everything to give and nothing to receive. God does not anxiously await our praise and adulation because he's worried that he won't be God without it. He awaits our praise because when we praise him, it means that we see him for who he truly is. It means that we know his goodness, we drink from the living water, and we take part in his intention. This is another Lewis quote. He says, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. But God wills our good and our good is to love him. Don't you see, God does not need us to glorify him. But it is for his glory that we were designed. Jesus coming to earth um, is, is wild when you think about it, but it's even more wild when we think about, um, we look at the passages talking about um, how Jesus goes about uh, his identity as the son of God. Jesus, even in righteous standing with God, doesn't seek his own glory. Philippians 2.6 says, He being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus, as the Son, doesn't seek his own glory independent from the Father. Even amidst um, temptation from, from the devil, that we read in the Gospel of Matthew that um, uh, after fasting for 40 days, uh, the devil tempts Jesus to make bread out of stones. And uh, Jesus, obviously being... Hungry after not eating for 40 days, this is a very tempting thing for him. But Jesus refuses. When the devil tempts Jesus to uh, throw himself off the top of the uh, tallest temple uh, because God would save him if he truly is the Son of God, Jesus refuses. Jesus refuses to glory in his equal standing with the Father. He refuses throughout his life to produce a miracle to help himself. He refuses to glory in his sonship. When when he's on the cross, people yell at him, if you are the son of God, come down off the cross. And Jesus refuses. Now this is not out of weakness, but it's because he does not seek to glorify himself, but to glorify the father who sent him. He won't do anything other than what the father wills for him. He has come precisely not to make him, his, his, himself known, but to make the Father known through him. And it's precisely on the cross that we see um, the, the completeness of this, of Jesus glorifying the Father in the greatest way imaginable. In John 12, 23, Jesus says, The hour has come that the Son of Man again will be glorified. He uses this word Now, of course, Jesus throughout his ministries on on earth has been making the Father known. He's been doing incredible things and and, um, saying incredible things. He has been doing that. But it's at this point where the cross approaches that the character of God will be made known in all of its fullness. And so I I I want us to see Jesus on the cross tonight as this fulfillment of God's glory the complete manifestation of God's character. It's this incredible paradox because where the cross is the lowest point of his degradation, it is the highest point of his glory. As He is lifted up on the cross, at the height of his shame, of his suffering, of his death and pain and abandonment, he emerges triumphant. On the cross, Jesus makes the heart of God known. One commentator says, He reveals to the world for all eternity a love that shrinks from no sacrifice, a love which is capable of the most entire abandonment, a love which is diffused over the whole surface of humanity and through all the ages, a love which comes laden with the richest and the highest gifts, even the turning of selfish and sinful hearts into its own pure and perfect likeness. His throne was not that of a tyrant or a pompous king. His throne was a cross. And not only does he make his heart known through the cross to us, but he conquers the sin of the entire world. He, he He emerges triumphant. He overcomes our spiritual enemies. He pulls down the houses that that those spiritual enemies have built in our lives, and he breaks the chains of spiritual bondage in our hearts. And he is victorious. This is the good news of the gospel, if if you've never heard it, is that Jesus came and on the cross made God known to all. And by conquering death and sin, so that as John twelve thirty two says, all people will be drawn to him. This is what it means when Jesus glorified God. This is what he came to do. This was his mission. This is why he was sent. Is so that he would make God known in the greatest way imaginable. And so how do we fit into this? Where do we, where do we sort of fit in with all of this? When we find something good in life, Uh, we naturally tell people about it. We naturally tell others about it. You know, have you seen that movie? Have you seen that show? Have you read this book? Have you seen this podcast? Um, Have you been to this restaurant? You have to try this thing. I'm I'm a real shocker for this when it comes to bargains. If I see something that's on sale for a really good price and I really like that thing, I'll just send it to everyone I know. I saw a coffee machine on sale the other day, a really good one, And I I think I sent it to five of my mates, one of which I knew doesn't even drink coffee. (laughs) Just get on this, get on this sale. It's so good. When something is praiseworthy, our natural tendency is to urge others to praise it as well. I know I'm quoting a lot of C.S. Lewis tonight, but he did write a book called The Weight of Glory, and I probably should have just read that book to you. But one of the things he says is, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's its appointed consummation. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Glorifying God, making him known in our lives to others, magnifying him in the things that we do, brings to completion our enjoyment in him. Our enjoyment of God is is stifled when it's kept to ourselves. It, it, in fact, cannot be fully realised it, our enjoyment in God must be felt through all that we do and what we say. And this is what his glorification looks like for us living today. That through all things, God would be made known. This is what it means. This is a long-winded way of saying this is what it means to glorify God. But it means that in all things, God would be made known for who he is. If you caught uh, Nicola... Uh, Olis Lager's message a few weeks back. This is the Olympic um, high jumper. She expressed that if God can be glorified by her jumping over a stick, then so too can God be glorified in the small, seemingly insignificant parts of our lives. To glorify God is to make him known for who he truly is. So if joy is found in creating, in making, in repairing, or in building let it be known to yourself and to others around you that it is God's joy which you share in, so that God would be made known for his joy. If peace in your life is found in small, quiet moments or in harmony with friends or family, let it be known that the peace you share in is God's, so that God would be made known for his peace. If care and empathy in your life is felt for those in need, those in suffering, in bondage, then let it be made known that it is God's care that you share in so that God would be known for his care. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And this is our call tonight. This is what we are invited into tonight. Whatever we do May it be to make God known for who he truly is. Another part of this is is recognizing that it is not us that starts the process of of glorifying God. We merely take part in his already existing glorification. Romans 11.36 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory for eternity, God is using all things to bring glory to Himself. He uses all things and all people to bring glory to Himself. Uh, if you didn't know, this week uh, we witnessed our very own parable here at the church. It was the parable of the prodigal camels. They were lost, but then they were found. And you probably saw uh, the story of the Nativity. Um, uh, lost camels um, all over different news outlets and social media. I know um, James got interviewed. I know Tyrone got interviewed. Probably few, anyone else get interviewed? No, just those two, great. But it's it's gone um, international as well. Like, I think it's just really, um, you know, just good news, I guess. <laughs> but what came as an obscure story, very obscure moment, um, I know of brought conversation starters to so many people within the church, um, so many people who, um, um, who have been a part of, of this church, to, to invite neighbours and work colleagues, um, family, not only to the lights events, that's, that's, that's good, but it opened up deep and meaningful conversation about God. An opportunity to point out our neighbours and community to God, even through lost camels. From him, through him, and to him are all things, camels included. Jesus came to glorify God, something that God is continuing to do today and that we take part in as well. As we come to worship, as we come to respond and uh, let that, uh, let God speak to us in that, I want to uh, just encourage us that we continue to do that in this Christmas season. I know there's, there's uh, many of us who, who um, during this time, have opportunities to, to share with family, share with friends, share with neighbors the goodness, the lovingness, the kindness of God and who He is through His Son. It's such an opportunity. And so before we, before we sing, we're going to sing that um, "O come all ye faithful again." Before we do that, I just wanted to, to pray, just offer a chance for, for those who would like to receive prayer, um, would like to see receive a special help um, to be able to make God known uh, in your lives in this season. So let's pray. Why don't we close our eyes? And if that's you, just um, just hold your hands out, just in your lap in front of you. As a way of of saying, God, I want to make you known in my life. I want to make you known in this time, in this in the in the events that I'm a part of in this Christmas season. I want to make you known in my workplace, in my friends' circle, in the spaces that I'm in. I want to make you known, God. I pray right now for these ones who are who are open, opening their hands to you to invite you in, that that want to be a part of what you're doing here on earth. I pray, great God, that you would empower them. You would simplify, Lord, the the loving actions that they would would do. You would would simply show them, you'd point them to people that you you want them to love. You'd show them how to do that. You You would model that, great God. We thank you, Lord, for the willingness to, to step out, Lord. And I pray for just, uh, just an increase, Lord, of, of the work you're doing here through them. Lord, it's, it's beautiful to be swept up in what you're doing. Be magnified, Lord, in our lives. Be glorified, be made greater, be made known, Lord, in all that we do, in all that we are. And Lord, I pray this as a church as well, for our church to be, made known as a place that, that reflects who you are. I pray, Lord, that this church would be used to, to glorify you, that you would shine in the darkness, Lord. Many would come, Lord, and receive you for the first time over this season, I pray. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this beautiful song, O Come All You Faithful, and let's... Uh, Let's cherish Jesus, let's adore him for the gift that he is.
1: Thank you, Lord. As I was just praying there as well, and as, we're, as we pray in our own life that we want God to be known to us, I actually really wanted to encourage you, uh, for the people around you, that we want God to be known to them. And if, you, if there's been people in your life that you've been praying, you've been praying for that, for that they would know God, and maybe you've become a bit disheartened, you've been praying them for them for so long, saying, I just want God to be known to them. And in a way, you've almost given up thinking maybe you've stopped praying for them or stopped really thinking about how you can shine God's light and just just wanting the Spirit to shine through. I really want to pray right now. Let us be encouraged that Jesus Christ has come and He wants to make Himself known to all, that all may know Him. And let's not get tired of doing good. There are many that do not know of the beautiful work of Jesus Christ and do not know Jesus Christ and we want all to know Him and we want all to know. So let me pray right now. Lord, I actually, we we come to you now just as I was praying then. I really pray, Lord. I know there are people in the room right now that might be a bit disheartened, Lord. They've been praying for people for a while. They've been wanting them to know who you are, great God. And I pray, Lord, that they would not get tired of doing good but they would continue to love and they would continue to put you first, Christ, that you may shine through them. And they would continue to wanna make disciples of all people, that you may be known to all. So great God, I actually pray right now that there would be encouragement in your spirit. Lord, what an encouragement that we know you. And in the same way, we want all to know you, great God. You have made yourself known, thank you thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. It's been awesome to have you at our service tonight. Don't forget about the Connections Lounge. Don't forget about our amazing Prayer Lounge at the back if you'd love prayer. If you wanna go to the back and just pray for someone that you've been praying for for a while, that would be amazing. Don't forget the $4 uh, Mullaney milk at the back. There's so many things going on. Have an amazing week. Merry Christmas. We'll see you on Saturday for our Christmas Eve services and Sunday for our Christmas service. Great to see you all. Have a great week.